Welcome back. It's Swing Pass. We're grading off-seasons today after one of the wildest free agency periods we've seen in this league's history. We had the all-time leading passer switch divisions, a bunch of teams upgraded, and we're here to dissect which ones won the off-season. Uh, we've broken it down into three categories, contenders, juries out, and then the true winners of the offseason. The contenders category is to just kind of give some flowers to teams that really didn't need to do much with their rosters over the offseason, but still mm-hmm. came out ahead, right? No important losses sustained to their lineups. Maybe a couple nice ads here or there. I've, I've got them down as the New York Empire, the Colorado Summit, and the Austin Soul. What do you think about those three picks? Yeah, no, I think that's spot on, right? Like they didn't, they didn't screw anything up, right? They are still going to very much be in position to make a run at the title in 2023. And I think New York is kind of the the pinnacle of that where it's interesting though. They do seem to add like a good amount of high profile players, at least one each season. So it is interesting that this year they didn't really get like that huge name signing that we're used to. You know, we had, oh, did they? I so I don't know if it's big, but it's one of those pieces where it's like, of course they get that kind of handler lockdown player, and it's it's Breton Tan coming over from Toronto. He sure, was a part sure. of that kind of youth movement that looked like it was going to take over the rush when they made that push deep to championship game in 2017 against San Francisco. He mm-hmm. was so frustrating on handlers. I remember he had an amazing semifinal game matching up on Dylan Freechild. It's just one of those guys who it's like. Maybe on most teams, it's hard for him to see an impact, but where New York, they have already so many good players on two lines of defensive rotations, and then they can put a player like Tan in and just let him do his thing. I mean, it's sort of like what they did last season when they added in John Randolph and Jabron Mieser midseason, right? Where they just get these two A1 athletes and just say, hey, go out there and guard people. Like, I imagine they can just kind of do the same thing with Tan where it's like, hey, you are a wasp when you get onto handlers. Like, you are just so frustrating in that reset space. It's just another tool for them to add. It's it's another thing that they can throw at you. They can now take away even more in the handler space, setting Tan alongside JR and Brownlee and Ben Katz. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I guess my greater point was like, you know, it's not the Jack Williams, Grant Lindsley signings of 2019. It's not the Ryan Osgar signing. It's not the Antoine Davis. Right. Like, I agree, Tan is going to be a very solid player for them, but didn't quite have like the the star power level gravity that'll, that we're kind of used to from them at this point. But, you know, that being said, they're coming off the best AUDL season ever, most efficient offensive season most dominant defensive season, arguably. I mean, with their points allowed and defensive conversion rate. So, yeah, like I said, they didn't they didn't screw anything up. And then the other two teams you mentioned, Colorado and Austin. Austin, I, I like their additions. I mean, uh, yeah. I think Worthington, getting Worthington from Seattle, like Austin's defense to me as far as like their playmaking ability and, and like takeaway level, I think that's where I see them really improving there. You get Worthington. He's the all-time franchise block leader for Seattle. This is a D-line that doesn't have a lot of trouble converting off of turnovers too. So if you can just up the amount of turnovers that they're forcing on teams, that's going to help them match up that much better with a dynamic team like Carolina or like Atlanta. So I'm, I'm excited for all three of these teams, but, but you're right. It's not like one 
addition that we're particularly excited about. They just they just uh, did a good job staying consistent. Colorado, too, they bring back most of their core. They add in a couple of those guys over from the Johnny Bravo club roster and Calvin mm-hmm. Stoughton and Sandy Brown, who I think are going to be impact players for them pretty much immediately. They somehow get deeper and taller and more athletic in year two which was kind of like their strength already in year one right, it, right. what do you need to do when your offense is built around nethercut prude finer jackson alex atkins you know like it's not much there to mess with if it's not broke don't fix it yeah sandy brown i did not realize he is a uh, six foot seven apparently so they just have this monster defender now i guess they didn't they didn't really ha- i mean i guess dave wiseman was sort of like a, a big deep six presence for them large. six yeah is pretty large but i don't know i i didn't feel like like their big man defense was really their game they just have a lot of like athletic playmakers they play but they add they, some they, size they play yeah. huge i mean matthew ag right. plays like they can all jump five. yeah yeah of course those so, colorado right. boys put on moon boots up there in the Rockies or something. I swear. Like they just kind of <laughs> shut down skies a lot of times. Yeah. And how do you feel like, uh, Stoughton is it Stoughton? Yeah. How do you feel like he's going to fit into probably the offense, right? Like, do you think he'll slot in alongside the yeah. main core that they have there? Yeah. I think they kind of put him in where Daniel Brunker departs, you know, he goes to LA. We'll talk about them in a minute, but, uh, I think mm-hmm. Stoughton fills in for his role as kind of that five through seven role. They they just let him go out and do his thing. I mean, he was the breakout club player this past fall. He was so good for that Johnny Bravo team and their nationals appearance. He's he's got all of the physical tools to just go out there and take over at times. And it's it's frankly unfair that they get to put a player of his caliber and slot him alongside the receiving core that was already there last season. You know, you wrote about it. Quinn Finer had one of the most efficient offensive seasons ever last year we you know Osgar won the MVP deservedly so but Finer's numbers if you just kind of did one of those player A player B they look really really close to Osgar at times and and now you add in another weapon in Stoughton it's just I don't know it's hard to not see the summit repeating right now and that's and that's because I guess this will be a good transition into our second group of uh off-season teams assessments is the the jury's out teams teams that lost some important pieces but maybe also added in a couple of interesting ones there's still teams that i think we would consider playoff contenders if not championship contenders at times but but we have questions about them and that would be the carolina flyers the salt lake shred and the uh chicago union uh i guess we can start with salt lake kind of transitioning from colorado uh salt lake of course met Colorado in last year's West Division Championship game. They fell 26 to 21, I believe. They they pushed late in the third quarter, but Summit with a huge home crowd just kind of put them down. Mm-hmm. Over the offseason, Salt Lake brought back most of their offensive core. They add in Elijah Jaime, the goal-scoring leader for the Atlanta Hustle. They brought on Grant Lindsley that we talked about the other week here on the pod. But one of the things that we were kind of waiting to see with these roster releases the past week was what was happening with this shred defense? And when Salt Lake dropped the news of their full roster, there is a noticeable lack of their defensive starters from last season. Gone mm-hmm. is all defensive team rep Joel Clutton. Ben Green, who has been one of the best takeaway defenders the past two seasons in the AUDL. 
Uh, Garrett Martin announced earlier this offseason that he would be returning to Seattle. Taylor Barton's gone. Uh, Blake Jordan is gone. Uh, I, I believe I'm missing one more. Their starters from last year, but that's a whole bunch of blocks, man. That's a whole bunch of coverage. That's a whole bunch of versatility. Clutton to me last year was the runner up for defensive player of the year to Cody Spicer. He was just Definitely. that impactful when he showed up in the shreds rotation. I mean, they shifted him to offense in that West division finale and he took over for the middle part Love of the that. game. Uh, without him, I still think, you know, they have Chad Jorgensen, who was incredible last year. They bring back Kyle Weinberg, who led the team in takeaways last year. This is still going to be a very athletic, a very, uh, ferocious bunch of shred defenders, but it's going to feel different. And it, it, it kind of feels like we're starting back where we were last season, where they've, they've got to kind of prove themselves again and, and building off of what we just talked about with Colorado, Colorado is just reloading. There, there's nothing really to prove. It's just building mm-hmm. on top of the successes that they already had. And with Salt Lake, it's kind of like they've got a lot of new pieces to figure out. They've got to figure out where Grant, Grant Lindsay, excuse me, fits in. They, they've got to kind of work through a little bit here at the beginning of the season. Right. And I, I think these defensive losses are particularly interesting because so much of their game last year, like they never had to play so cleanly on offense or really right. or really defensively after turnovers because like they, the games they were playing in were all like 20 plus turnover games at least for like the second half of the squad. season they were they were flying around the defensive highlights yeah. from the red last year might have been some of the most impressive ever love them I mean, they're laying out for everything right yeah, right there's kind of this like bravado this like big boy ball approach where then they would get the disc and just sort of boost it like they would just the amount of they turnovers they them. had where somebody's just looking for a streaking player and just overthrows them by like 20 yards right? that was yeah i mean chad Jorgensen last year threw what <laughs> like over 40 assists at like a 88 percent, 87 percent completion rate like yeah. he was flying around defensively and then just launching the disc like obviously they still have that but if they're gonna have fewer takeaway opportunities if they drop off in defensive ability at all just from these offseason losses I just don't know if they can afford to play as loosely uh west Bali as we saw from them last year so I'm, I'm interested to see if there's like some sort of mentality switch if they if they opt for more possession oriented drives defensively and if that just puts more pressure on the offense to be a little bit more perfect with their opportunities as well what if they just double down? What if what if they just they might down? honestly no, they might and I know they're the, from an the, entertainment standpoint would not like, be when opposed they, when they ran out there those first couple of weeks and we didn't really know what to expect that with their roster and their defense is just like six foot two dude six foot two dude six foot five Joel Clutton yeah you know, yeah running out there and mugging any disc in space like I, I don't know I kind of want to see that. <laughs> The thing is, like, even despite all these losses that we named, I think that is still just kind of the identity of their D-line and kind of what this entire roster has. Like, they just have could these D-line back. athletes that will fly around. So well, maybe we don't see any sort of change. I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't be surprised either way at this point. Well, and if they put Lindsley on that defensive line, it it kind of almost in a way doesn't really matter what else helps because he's such an energizer <laughs> for any rotation. You put sure. Him on. 
and, and the yeah. kind of pop he gives them on the counterattack. I mean, I, I again, think like, I'm excited about Salt Lake. I, I want to see yeah. this slight like, tweak and iteration. I want to see how good Jordan Kerr and Elijah Jaime will kind of sync up. I just, in my mind's eye, that is kind of like a fantasy draft scenario you you put together, right? Those those two talents. And so I, I think there's yeah. a lot of promise. There's just, again, questions. Uh, speaking of questions, Carolina. Uh, I talked about it yesterday in my Power Rankings article. I think they're the only team in the league that can sustain the kind of losses that they did over the offseason. They had four cornerstone players retire in Tim McAllister, Justin Allen, Noah Saul, David Richardson. You've got like the franchise leader in completions, blocks, spirit, yep. defensive big plays all in there. They, they lose Henry Fisher this year to a year of medical school. He's an all ADL talent. Alan LaViolette, who missed all of last season with an injury, will not mm-hmm. be returning to the team this year after he earned actual all ADL honors in 2021. Uh, am I missing any other big Charlie McCutcheon? Uh, has gone to DC. Yep, that's the other one. <laughs> you know, like if any other all. team, if any <laughs> other team sustained these losses, we would be, you know, dropping them in the rankings, talking about what's happening here, who's going to fill these roles. But it's the Flyers. So what do they do? They they reload. They got Joe White from Chicago, was one of the best players on the Union at the end of last year. They bring back Liam Cyril's bows who hasn't played with the team since 2017, but has been a college phenom, can play mm-hmm. on either side of the di- disc, a true dual threat star. Uh, they bring on Matt Tucker, who was one of the best defenders for the Madison Radicals last year, finished second on the team in takeaways. A- and you just, you look at the Carolina roster and you just go, yeah, man, I go to war with that. Like that, that's that's fine. Like wherever you want to play people. Like I, in writing about in trying to write about them, it's like they they could go truly positionless this year. I think like they Honestly, could really yes. run so many guys both ways and be just fine. Oh, an- another name they added this offseason, Ben Snell. I, I knew I was forgetting a big that's one. That's a big uh, one too. And he he, he used to play for the Flyers back in the day. I, I think he was on a roster. He never really got into full rotational play with them. You know, he's made spot appearances with the Cascades. He was super big mm-hmm. in the Cascades comeback win in the 2016 semifinal. They had a layout goal right. in that. He had the the spot start in 2021 when he put up like 1,200 yards of offense. Yeah, him and uh, <laughs> him and Eckert played like a couple of games. Eckert was playing more. They played a couple of games together and just like went off offensively. It was like NBA street, but make it ultimate, you know, like, it was just like two people just throwing the disc back and forth, but it's like 80 yard go routes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, Snell's a huge addition. And, and again, like with white LSB and Snell, they can play both ways. Uh, you talk about the players that are still there. The offense still has Alex Davis, Anders Jungs, Jacob Fairfax, uh, Saul Yannick, Eric Taylor, if they want to put him there, uh, Matt right. Johannes, it, it, Terrence Mitchell, Dylan Hawkins, Trevor Lynch, like you just go on and on. Like they, they, they go 12 deep on offense. They go equally deep on defense. It's Carolina. They're an institution at this point. Well, we talk about it every, every year. Like they have some injuries to their offense. Like the, the LaViolette loss last year was enormous. He, he had such a dominant season in 2021 and was such a big part of just like their vertical threat offense but they didn't really miss a beat last year I mean maybe they didn't have as much of that 
vertical dimension as they did the previous year, but they're still like, they're going to be a top five team no matter what. And yeah, it never seems to matter who they field on their 20 man roster any given week. I think the Joe White edition in particular, I mean, really the guys you mentioned, like White, uh, Liam Searles, Bose and Ben Snell. First of all, I don't know what the commitment level is going to be with these players. I know Joe White, I don't think he has moved to Carolina. I think they're flying him in for games. So it'll be interesting to see like, you know, what games they choose to have him for. I assume the DC games, but maybe a couple Atlanta games too. Just like where exactly they fit in. Because obviously, like you said, they have two-way ability. They're all very talented throwers. And we might see kind of someone shifting into that vacated Laviolette role, which, you know, was partially filled by Eric Taylor at times. But I think they like him a lot on defense too. And like you said, I would they just go positionless and freely rotate guys back and forth game to game? Yeah, maybe, and it and it, and it would probably defense. be fine. You know, like they they could just throw them on defense some points too, it, right? And right. I almost think that that would be a good look for them. I think kind of presenting a ungame planable attack or or yeah. a lack of idea of who's going to be filling what role exactly could work out really well. Although I will say, while while talking through this. They tried that a little bit in the first game of 2021 against Atlanta, and that is when the hustle upset the Flyers in week one in that instant South Division Classic. I remember they had uh, Flyers had Terrence Mitchell on defense. It was the first game for Youngst on offense. They were doing a lot more small ball stuff after, you know, we had this idea of this big attack Flyers offense from, you know, 2015 to 2019. They kind of reinvented Mm -hmm. over the course of the pandemic but uh they did a lot of tweaking in that game and it felt like the hustle had a little bit more of an identity now the end of that season went very much in the flyers favor with them hoisting a trophy so maybe that early season experimentation in loose lines really worked (laughs) out and paid off later yeah i i do i don't know I, i go back and forth on like what the best approach is whether you want to have that flexibility mid game or if it's better just to like stick to your guns, like make sure guys are developing chemistry correctly with the rest of their line and not mess things around too much. But I mean, the Flyers have kind of been the, I mean, they were the classic example of a team shifting things around mid season and then like hitting new rotations down the stretch and that working out perfectly for them. So I, I trust coach Mike Denardis to, to do what's right for this team. Trust in Mike. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, so the final team before we get to our true winners, we're not there quite yet is uh, the Chicago Union. Now, obviously, they had some of the biggest losses this offseason. We just talked about Joe White. Of course, they lose franchise cornerstone Pavel Giannis. Uh, Jason Valley, who has been arguably just as instrumental the past two seasons on defense, both for his coverage ability and in leading the D-line counterattack. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lose Tim Schock. They lose uh, possibly Nate Goff. There is some rumors around that as to how much his availability will pan out into 2023. He's, of course, been one of the best defenders in the AUDL over the last several seasons. They lose all of this, and yet there's enough Jeff pieces Weiss. here. Did you mention Jeff Weiss? Jeff Weiss. No, and honestly, and I've talked about it's this off-air with you, for as good as a whole host of players were on Chicago last season, Pavel, Ross Barker, uh, the aforementioned Jason Valley. I thought over the 
the entire, what was it? They played 15 games over the course of the season. Over the 15 games, Chicago Union 2022 season. I thought Jeff Weiss was that team's most valuable player. I, I, we could sit here and argue about who their best player is, who is their most talented. Game in, game out, I thought Weiss was their That's most fair. significant piece. Uh, he's gone. Despite all these absences, you still have... Uh, Sam Kaminsky coming off a career year, Ross Barker coming off of another fantastic season on offense, uh, a defense loaded with, I think, good takeaway defenders, I think mm-hmm. high energy, and they go pretty deep on defense. They've added in all-star Andrew Shogren. Uh, Jack Shanahan's going to be a uh, captain for the second straight here. There's enough nice pieces here at the Union where you can absolutely see them not only just being in the playoff race again in the Central Division, but possibly coming out for a third straight Central Division title with the amount of uncertainty that there are in the rest of the divisional lineups. Yeah, man, I just I just need to see them in action. Like, I don't even know what to imagine their, like, offensive system is going to be without Pavel. And it, it's not even to say that he was, like, you know, the most important piece necessarily last year. Like you said, Jeff Weiss is a fine argument for that. Ross Barker, obviously the the vertical threat he brings as a thrower and a receiver is huge and they're not going to lose that. So it's really just like that, that first level, you know, getting the disc from the handlers to those initial middle cutters and then working their continuation game, which I think they did a great job of last year. I just don't know if like, if everything is going to, fall apart because teams don't have to worry about Pavel. We've talked about it a bit before. I think the red zone is where I'm most interested to see because Pavel is like, like he owned the red zone for that team and against year. all he, their opponents. He had 25 goals last year too, you know, like he, right. like you say, he just, he takes over in that space. He just, He's just like a disc. bulldozer. Getting the disc in. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's like he tilts the field downhill when he gets within 15 or so yards. And that little right. scooter that he has in that range, he almost never uses it in, in kind of the midfield it's rare. play. He'll do, it, he'll do it a little <laughs> bit like in rhythm, getting the disc off the sideline out of a double team. But when he's within eyesight of the end zone, that thing is such a good tool in his side belt. Oh, I, yeah. I really so, like I mean, I like I think... I think everyone around him probably got better in the red zone because of his presence. I just don't know Kaminsky, how much of that is Kaminsky. like, yeah, yeah. Kaminsky is a great example. In the red zone and, and he's a little bigger and he has, I think more experience playing in an upfield position as both like a mm-hmm. cutter and just kind of initiator. And when he kind of like clicked that gear of, Oh, if we don't turn it over, we'll get it in after a few passes. And he became yeah. kind of that like yeah. activated up line again, like, fullback dive play where he's just catching an easy five yard clap catch and then ranging it off his dome like right right yeah I I mean he he kind of is gonna have to step into more of an aggressive role in the red zone this season because they also added back Nico Lake who was really big for them in 2021 but he's more of like kind of like a a pivot type handler in the backfield he's not not gonna be overly aggressive but typically makes good decisions and makes the right throws but yeah, they just don't, I, I'm just struggling to to see who's going to be like that guy that just like drives the disc into the end zone. Like it's why Pavel is the all-time assist leader because he just has that mindset. Like he just has to get the disc in the end zone and you need at least one guy like that on every team, especially in the red zone. But it's hard to find that balance of like, 
you know, playing it safe, being comfortable, just swing the disc back and forth, and then someone actually to take that shot in the res. And Jordan Kerr is a great example of that in Salt Lake. Like he's one of the best red zone players in the entire league because he he knows to take advantage of those situations where there's maybe tight windows, but he has the throws to do it. So yeah, just from like a throwing standpoint, like if they're not getting as much like aggressiveness from their handler set, I think that just puts more emphasis on their cutters and, you know, we'll see what happens. Eli Artemakis is also a cutter. I don't think you mentioned before, but he's, he's been developing his throws too. Like him, Shanahan Barker, I trust them all to like make pretty solid continuation. Uh, it just to take advantage of those situations as throwers. And I, I think they can also like feel free to move back into the backfield if needed. So I don't know. Long-winded answer to say I have no idea what to expect from Chicago's offense this year, and I'm excited to see it. I mean, another name that we haven't even brought up yet who might be the the best player amongst them too is uh, Paul Arters, another person who isn't available every single week, but it just takes their offense to a new level, is such a good continuation thrower, might have the best flick. He has like an Osgar Jordan Kerr level flick when he really oh, yeah. gets that thing working. He can just throw any shape, any distance, any velocity. Uh, I, I Chicago full strength. You you look at their top 14, they still look like the reigning division champs. I, I think yeah. where it really comes in and what their strength the past couple of years have been is that back end. They've been so deep. They've been able to rotate in so many guys into so many positions and have it be successful. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see what happens if they don't have Arters in the lineup, if they're without Artemakis due to an injury or something, you know, like what does it look like when they kind of get to that second rotation, that road lineup, that, that guy who's missing all of a sudden, like what version of the union do we see then? But well, and I think, and either way, like you're getting this, this depth that has sort of been in development the past couple of seasons, they're Mm going to be in more primary roles this year. So it's also like, Mm -hmm. how do they take advantage of that opportunity? And can they slot in and be like very serviceable starters rather than just like, just role players, I guess. They have been up until this point, excuse me. (laughs) Choking yeah. on water here. Yeah, no, just motor skills failing. Uh, yeah, we should get to our true winners. We've been talking so much kind of in the... Stop the, beating around the bush. Yeah. The lead up, but we need to get to the actual teams that won, won the offseason. Uh, I'll just say them. Los Angeles Aviators, DC Breeze, Toronto Rush. LA, I think it's pretty easy. They get Pavel Giannis away from Chicago. They also get Jason Valley is kind of like the the tag along piece uh but he's going to be fantastic i almost think valley will be more valuable to their defense than pavel will be at certain times to their offense i think pavel is obviously going to be incredible for the aviators in year one but given the aviators defensive struggles last year i just see him as such a need fit you know we also talked before about uh la getting daniel brunker over from colorado Another mm-hmm. nice two-way threat. We still will see if he will play on offense or defense, but he can go either way. Uh, they bring in a couple of veterans in Devin Cox, Zach Steiner. Sean McDougal is back with the Aviators. He, of course, is the franchise leader in goals scored, in total scores, in points played. He was a cornerstone for many, many seasons for Los Angeles, was a part of their 2018 championship weekend run, was a 2019 All-Star had close to or no he had 70 plus scores last year for the growlers 
I, I talked a little bit about it in my piece yesterday. Giannis to McDougal just seems, again, a, a kind of draft proposal of quarterback <laughs> and receiver. Like you, you yeah. just like how that sounds from the get go. Um, they just look like a different team this year. You know, the Aviators finished four and eight last year. They were they were spicy. They were feisty. They had a lot of young talent, but they didn't really have anyone that could you know rely on and win them games. That's different now. They've got Pavlianis. They've got these other pieces in place, right? They've got more veteran leadership. I just, in in constructing my power rankings list, it all of a sudden became apparent. It's like, you might not love some of the, the top end pieces as much as, you know, the, the Carolinas, the DCs, the New Yorks, the true power teams right now, sure. uh, Colorado, but this Aviators team is really well constructed. You can see where all of the pieces fit in. You can you can see ah this is this is how this player is going to reinforce this player. You can see how McDougal's mm-hmm. going to really kind of energize that receiving core that was already in place. You're, you're going to see how just a couple more defensive additions might really boost up their defensive conversion rate. Like that, there's a lot of apparent logic, a lot of readily made logic about how this Aviators team is forming. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. And I, I think the, the question for me, if there was one, is just the, the classic integration of all of these new pieces. What what version of the Aviators do we see? And does that like evolve throughout the season? It probably does to some extent. Like they're going to have to move guys around, play with different rotations. And then just like within the offense, guys figuring out their roles. Like how do you, how do you play with Pavel when there hasn't been a Pavel presence the past couple of years. Like what does Brandon Van Dusen transform into? What does Sean McDougal play? Like he, he kind of had to be a very, very primary offensive weapon in 2021 and, and years prior, just because they didn't have a ton around him, but they have like a lot of good, like more reliable throwers than McDougal. I think San Diego did a good job kind of tapping into what McDougal best brought to the offense, which was, kind of like, I don't know, 15-ish touches a game, like mostly a vertical threat, but still filling in as a cutter and facilitator when needed. So I'm just excited to see like how those roles shape out in this offense, how they change throughout the season. Pavel, like the Pavel edition alone was probably enough to win the LA offseason this year. But I I think this is the team that to me is like the clear winner. I, I just think they've gone from a, a four and eight five and seven team to do I guarantee them a playoff spot this year? I kind of want to. So I think that, that jump, that jump is enough. I'm going to say they, they won were, the off season. I, I thought you were actually going to not hedge and make a commitment. You, you were, you were this close. And then you just like dismounted at the last second. You like, you like bailed on the rail or something. I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to revise that and just fully commit. I guarantee LA go. will make there the playoffs this year. Yeah. All right. That's what so we going want. going we from a losing team to a guaranteed playoff spot. That's that's the offseason winner. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that you're right. However, getting to our next scene, the DC Breeze, they bring yeah. in Thomas Edmonds, Cole Jer- or, or yeah, Cole Jerk, uh, excuse me, Andrew Roy, Joe Merrill. <laughs> you gotta Charlie name them Martin, all. Gus Norbaum. Uh, I know I'm missing some. Garrett Braun is back on this team. It is the most fully energized version of DC ever. 
and they do look to be eye-to-eye equals with New York Empire on their rosters. And so while I, I totally hear what you're saying, Aviators have seemingly transformed over the offseason, the pieces that DC adds and the way that that complicates the narrative of the, of the top two teams in this league, I, I just think that it's it's kind of a tie between LA at times and DC. I think I started the segment by saying LA was the clear leaders, but now I'm talking myself into DC kind of it just, adding yeah. the things that they need to do. They, they got a bunch of playmakers, which was somewhat of the discrepancy between the Breeze and the Empire the past couple of years. It, it's so hard to pull apart DC and New York right now. Um, Evan Lepler just put out a terrific piece kind of articulating the DC side of the rivalry as they're going into the 2023 season out now on the AUDL.com website. Um, But like these teams have formed off of each other at this point, right? Like their rosters are now being constructed in response to the additions that the other is making. And so to talk about one as if it isn't also talking about the other team at this point, I think is silly. Like they are two franchises that are kind of fundamentally defining themselves off of each other. I think unlike any other two teams right now in the league, I think we've seen in the past similar sorts of cold wars or, or, or interdivisional sort of spats. I don't think we've ever seen something approach this sort of zenith, right? This peak. Like there, there's just yeah. These these are all stars. They're they're just building mech god version. You know, this is Voltron. They're just taking the best pieces (laughs) and just glomming them on. And you look at the starting sevens for either New York or DC, and it's like, yeah, any of those guys on any team in the league always. You know, it's I did I did go through and count how many guys I would say like these are clear cut O line starters for DC. I counted four, fourteen. They have yeah. fourteen guys. Two lines, two, which is not what New York has. Take, that you could basically take any version of and and go into a playoff game with. Yeah, right? like there's, yeah. There's no like bad rotation that you can assemble. It's it's all kind of just how do you want to play this group of guys together. Right. And I don't think New York can say the same, but does it matter? Like if New York is just fielding the same seven guys on offense the entire game and they're converting at a 70% rate, like who cares how much depth you have at a certain point, like you're just going to be carried by the best guys on your team. So it it is like a, a matchup of so much depth, particularly on the offensive side versus the top-end talent that New York has. And it's not like DC doesn't have top-end talent. I feel like it's kind of a weird narrative we've crafted, and, like, New York's guys are so much infinitely better than DC. But they're just there is something about that team, and history is on their side. They keep edging out these close wins against DC, no matter what DC throws at them. So it's still just a big question mark for me. Like, yes, DC has had an incredible offseason, do I favor them in a game against New York? I don't think so. I think it's like 50-50. We've been here before, right? Like we've yeah. talked about it. It's like in my mind, I want to commit to the idea of DC upsetting New yeah. York. Yeah, you can't I do it. See it. Like yeah. I need to see the Titan fall. I need to see Thanos lose all of his powers. Like I can't just <laughs> hypothesize about 
the supposed failures of this New York team. They've had so few since the start of 2019. I mean, they've, right. they've lost three total games since then. Three. One was a championship game. <laughs> it's silly. Yeah, it's, it's silly. ridiculous. It's just going to come down to these, like, offensive battles. Just, like, whoever makes fewer mistakes on offense is going to win these games. And, like, at this point, I, I just would have no idea who I would consider the favorite in winning that turnover battle. Right. Right. Well, let's move to one other East division team. Our third winner of the off season. It's the Toronto rush, uh, who I would not have anticipated going into this off season, making a whole bunch of big moves. I, I was excited for them to simply kind of mature with the roster that they've had, but bringing in Mike McKenzie, Ty Barbieri, uh, Jeff Bevan, Jeremy Hill, a couple other Ottawa players after the the outlaws folded. Um, it it's it's kind of similar to the Aviators, where it might not be exactly the the Grant Lindsley kind of headline grabber that other teams can manifest, but every mm-hmm. single rush piece makes sense. They they need a thrower like Jeff Bevan, Luke Comire, and Ryan Polaz did fantastic setting up the very young rush offense last year but you could see at times there is just a little bit of a strain of getting that third kind of primary thrower in there I mean the upfield mm-hmm. talent of James Lewis and Oscar Stonehouse and all those young guys Wilkie Lewis too they they did really well as continuation throwers but Bevin's presence is, is a whole different ball game and he's just going to provide another deep thrower that is going to be so useful in that deep attack friendly rush offense uh Mike McKenzie when he was last playing for the rush at the end of 2021 was dominant as a receiver just a dominant playmaker when he's really locked in uh Ty Barbieri too he hasn't played in the AEDL in a couple seasons but I'm really excited to see what he can add to this team another just can go out there and make plays kind of guy you you might take a first glance at him and not see a whole bunch of physical tools, but he's great in the air. He's another great continuation thrower. They get a couple more defensive pieces. They get a year older, which I just think is so important yeah. for one of That's the helpful. youngest lineups in the league. It it just feels like a win because similar to LA, they've sort of reimagined what they were coming out of 2022, right? It's not just, yeah, they're nice pieces. It's sort of like, this is now all of a sudden a team that went from promising to being in a playoff contender this year, I think. Like, I, I think yeah. it's it's safe to say, like, with some of the results that they had that were close against Boston and Philadelphia last year, they were nipping on their heels. Now I kind of expect them to contend for that third seed in the East. For sure. I mean, if you look at the schedules, they they could be considered the favorite for the third seed. Yeah, they, they, have, they have games against they Detroit, Detroit and Pittsburgh. They play Detroit yeah. and Pittsburgh this year? Is that right? Yeah. So, so those are some nice cross division games. Philly, on the other hand, the kind of the the team that had that I would say it's theirs to lose the three seed this year, considering they got it last year. They've got a game against Carolina out of division this year. They'll also play Pittsburgh. Um, so you know, I mean that that is going to be a, a real battle because honestly, Boston and Montreal not at all far behind Philly nor Toronto. So it's really going to be tight. I think Toronto, in my mind, like. They they're kind of the other example, like L.A. of a team that I expect to go from more of a, you know, bottom three team in the division to potentially 
uh, a playoff team this year. And it's those it's those additions and, and Mike McKenzie and Ty Barbieri, especially two Team Canada guys that they just casually add to the lineup this year. And those Ottawa guys, like, it's just helpful to have more throwers on the team. So you're talking about Bevan. Jeremy Hill also has a very solid continuation game. All of a sudden, it seems like a team where you just kind of expected all their best players to be on offense just out of necessity last year. They've kind of got some... Yeah, they've got some room to play with now. Like they, they might shift some throwers onto their defensive side, which might up their break conversion rate, which is going to be big because, you know, Montreal, Boston, Philly, these teams do turn it over a decent amount. And there's going to be opportunities to convert there. And I would say that was probably Toronto's biggest downfall last year. And like a lot of their inconsistency just came on defense because it was like Phil Turner and then whoever else was playing next to Phil Turner. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited for improvements defensively and just like seeing again where the Ottawa guys fit in and where these critical Team Canada pieces slot in as well. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Swing Pass. We've got just over three weeks until the start of the 2023 season on Friday, April 28th. We will continue our preseason hype train rolling next week with a new episode of Swing Pass then. We'll see you soon. 